Father, again, we just thank you for your word, and uh, Lord, uh, we do pray for our nation and uh, the difficulties that this virus has caused, Lord, and I know that you're allowing all of this. You might have even orchestrated all of this, Lord, in order to to change this country. And Lord, if you're going to change this country, you're going to change it for good. Lord, and we, we, and we, we look forward to the good things that you're going to do in the United States of America. We look forward, Lord, to, to growing closer to you and, and getting more serious uh, in our relationship with you. And, and that's what all of these things are doing for all of us, I'm sure. Lord, I'm sure there are going to be people that, that during this time are going to, going to see just how hopeless this world is without Christ, Lord, and that they're going to turn to you and, and, and seek you as their Savior. And Lord, we look forward to that too. Lord, there's so much to look forward to. No matter how difficult this gets, Lord, we know that you know how to take care of your own, and you're going to take care of your own. Lord, help us to be compliant. Help us to, to be good citizens, Lord, but, but again, remembering that, that our main citizenship is with you in heaven. And and, Lord, we just look forward to that day when you come to get us and take us there. But in the meantime, Lord, you have a work for us to do. And we ask that you show us that work and that you equip us to do that work. And, Lord, that's why we study your word, to be equipped, to, to, to have the right attitude about how we approach this world. Lord, I, I just ask that you, you teach us these lessons today, uh, that you give us great hope in this lesson today. Uh, Lord, because there, there is so much hope in the midst of all of this darkness, and we just, I ask you to show us that today as we, as we go through this study. Lord, we just pray for your blessings. I pray for your blessings on our governor. I pray for, your, for you to give him the wisdom he needs to make the right decisions, Lord. To, Lord, I ask these doctors that, that see medicine as the, the, the savior of our world, Lord, that somehow that they look beyond that that they look to you, that we all look to you for our hope because, Lord, our hope comes from you and not from anything that we can do as human beings. And, Lord, help us to see that in this dark time. Father, I just pray for your grace upon all of us and upon this country. I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter number 47, and we'll get the first part of that chapter or most of that chapter today. Uh, author Stephen McGee was read something he said the other day that kind of caught my attention. He described the present situation that we're in this way. He said, the great American dream is on a ventilator. And, and I, I totally agree with that. I, I, I'd go further than that. I would just say the American dream is on a bit of later. The American way of life, a way of freedom and, and prosperity and capitalism, all of that is on a ventilator right now. And so if it's on a ventilator, there's a couple of questions that, that come to my mind. Number one is, is uh, uh, do we survive? I mean, when you're on a ventilator, that's the question you want to ask, am I going to survive this or not? You're probably going to be incubated and not even know you're there. But your family will be asking that question, are you going to survive? And that's the question I ask. If America's on a ventilator, and I think it is, are we going to survive? And if we are going to survive, how are we going to survive? And those are some pretty loaded questions, and I don't know that I can give you the answers to those questions. I certainly can't give you the answers to those questions as far as most Americans go. But I can give you the answer to those questions for Christian Americans. Will we survive? The answer is yes. How will we survive? Let me give you the solution in two words. In Christ. That's how we are all going to survive. But Here's what I love about the Bible. The whole narrative of the Bible doesn't teach survival. It doesn't teach what some people think it teaches. A lot of people think what the message of the Bible is, get your ticket to heaven, and, and when you get to heaven, everything will be glorious. That's what they think it is. No, the, the Bible isn't about survival. The Bible is about 
how to be blessed in this life which we live, no matter what our circumstances are. And that's what God wants for all of us. He wants us to be blessed. Even through this COVID virus, he wants us to be blessed. And so we're going to see how he can bless his people as we look at chapter 47 today of the book of Genesis. And as we look at that, we're going to see today as we come to chapter 47, the Egyptian way of life on a ventilator. I mean, it's about to die. Their whole way of life is about to die. But here's what we're also going to see. As they're dying as a culture, or their way of life is dying as a culture, the little nation of Israel, God has them off to the side, and he's got them protected, and he's going to prosper them and bless them. And he can do that for us. He's going to bless them so much that if you were to ask one of those Israelites during the famine, how's it going, they would have said, might, would have said to you, or ask you, what famine? That might have been their question. So, so let's pick up where we left off last time. If you remember, Jacob and his clan had arrived in the Delta Valley of Goshen. I mean, uh, if you talk about a place that was famine-proof, it was that Valley of Goshen because it sat right there on the Nile River, and they were going to be able to irrigate that Nile River and grow crops and feed their sheep, and they had sheep to eat and crops to eat, and Joseph had food to give them. And so, so hey, they, you could just look at the situation. You knew that they were going to prosper even in this very difficult famine. So we also saw last week this reunion between Jacob and his long-lost son, Joseph. And what a reunion it was. They hugged, and they wept, and they hugged, and they wept, and they hugged, and they wept. And uh, then when they had finished that reunion, uh, Joseph got around to the business that he needed to talk to them about. And here's what he told them. Look, you're, settled, you're settling in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh said you can have that land. But we've got to go through the formalities of turning that possession of that land over to you. So we're going to have to go down to the capital, which was about 50 miles away, and you're going to have to come before Pharaoh. And he, 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 he rehearsed with them what they needed to say. You need to tell Pharaoh that your occupation is a shepherd and that, that you've always been sheep herders and that you always want to be sheep herders and you don't want to do anything else, and that's the only thing you know, so please let us be sheep herders. And the reason Joseph prompted them that way or, or, or had them rehearse those lines was this. Sheep herders were an abomination to the Egyptians. And the reason they were an abomination was that the Egyptian society was an agrarian society, a farming society, and sheep and crops just don't go together well. And they wouldn't trust the, 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 uh, the Israelites as sheep herders, and so... So, hey, we're, you're, you're going to be doing something that the Egyptians don't like, Joseph tells them, and so uh, you've got to let them know that really that's all you know how to do, that's all you want to do, and that's all you're going to do, and, and uh, don't, don't, don't uh, throw any, any, uh, any, uh, anything into the, into the engine that, that messes up what we're trying to do. So as we come to chapter 47, and that's where we're picking up today, we're going to see this first meeting between Pharaoh and Joseph's family, and that's where we pick up in 47, beginning in verse number 1. So, so go to Genesis chapter 47, verse number 1. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. So this is a formality. They didn't just go to Goshen. Pharaoh had told them they could go to Goshen. He told them they could have the best of the land. And uh, uh, he's already told them that. But now they're going to have to, to actually go through the formalities and get deed to the land. And then verse number two, it says, And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Now, we don't know which five. My guess is he probably took the oldest four brothers and Benjamin. The oldest four brothers would have been Judah, Simeon, uh, Levi, and Reuben. So that's probably who he took. That's just my guess. And uh, they go into the presence of Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? So Joseph knew Pharaoh was going to ask him that. And uh, just as they were instructed, 
They said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And it's the only occupation we know. Uh, And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, and, and he says, this is my decree. This is, this is what you're going to have to do, and this is the formal decree. Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your fathers and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. So there's the formality is taken care of. And if you know any competent man, now watch this. This is pretty cool right here. You get the picture. They've come down to Egypt. Uh, They're going to get the best of the land. They're going to be able to irrigate that land. They're going to be able to get food. They're going to have all of these things. And now watch how God piles on these blessings upon these brothers of Joseph and, and Jacob. It says, and if you know any competent man, hey, I know some competent man. I'm sure they all could say that. And if you know any competent man among them, make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. I want you to take over all of my herds. I'm going to put you in charge of all of my herds. And I don't know what kind of deal he made. I'm sure he offered a, you know, a handsome salary for, for doing that. Probably a, a percentage of the, the uh, livestock that was born while it was under their care. And so the rich uh, Israelites were going to get even richer right in the midst of this famine. What's that remind you of? You remember when Abraham went down uh, to Egypt during the famine and Isaac went down to Egypt during the famine? They did the wrong thing. Jacob really did the wrong thing. He sought the Lord and he prayed and the Lord came to him in a vision. But they went down there in disobedience to the Lord. And what happened while they were down there? They got richer. They got blessed. They got richer. I mean, God can bless you even when you're not doing the right thing. I don't recommend that. I'm not telling you that's the way to seek blessings is do the wrong thing because at some point you're going to get a paddle you know, on your rear and, and you don't want that to happen. But, but God can bless us in any situation, and that's what he does here. I mean, he blesses them. Uh, he tells them, first of all, you're going to get to, even though it's, it's, a, it's an abomination to the Egyptians, uh, sheep herding is an abomination to the Egyptians, you're going to get to herd your, your sheep because it's a necessarily evil. And by the way, you're going to be in charge of all of my herds. And i got to tell you, if you had asked Reuben or Simeon or Judah or, or Benjamin or, or any of those brothers at that point, how's it going for you during this famine? You know what they would have probably said back to you? What famine? Man, things couldn't be going any better than they're going for us now. So anyway, he gives them, puts them in charge of all of this. And then Joseph brought his father Jacob in. You've got to get this picture. Here's this 130-year-old frail man brought into the very presence of the most powerful man on earth. And what would you think Jacob would do at that point? You would think maybe he would fall prostrate before Pharaoh and say, thank you for giving us this land. Thank you for giving this, this, this job. Thank you for all you've done for my son, uh, Thank you for letting us live in Egypt and not in Canaan. Thank you for just everything. He doesn't do any of that. Look at what happens. It says, then Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh. And what does Jacob do? Jacob stands tall. Jacob stands tall, and he looks at Pharaoh and says, really, in his heart, you're not that important to me. And what does he do? He blesses Pharaoh. He actually blesses Pharaoh. We're told over in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7, that beyond all contradiction, the lesser is always blessed by the better. You know, that's why I hesitate to, to and I'm not saying not do this, because I know most people's intentions on this are good, but I hesitate to say, God, God bless you. I, I hesitate to sign off a letter with God bless you, because it's almost signifying that, hey, I have some kind of better relationship with the Lord and I have the authority to bless you because, the, because that is the case. In those old cultures, the king was able to bless the people. 
the people weren't able to bless the king. At least that's the way the king saw it. That's the way the leadership saw it. But here comes Jacob, and he comes into Pharaoh's presence, and he, it's almost like he's an arrogant old man because he, 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 he blesses Pharaoh. He doesn't hesitate to bless Pharaoh. And really, by Pharaoh allowing himself to be blessed by Jacob, he was acknowledging the fact that Jacob was greater than him. And Jacob was greater than him. Now, where, how did Pharaoh know that Jacob was greater than him? Well, remember, Joseph was like a father to Pharaoh. I believe, again, that Pharaoh's father had died when Pharaoh was at a very young age, and Joseph had come along, and he had seen the wisdom of God in Joseph. He had seen the wisdom of God when he interpreted those dreams, and then he had seen, heard his life story. Uh, he knew all, and Joseph had told him all about the Abrahamic covenant of faith and, and how important that covenant was, and and, he, and, and Pharaoh, I believe, even though he held on to his pagan gods in, in, in the meantime, I believe he was a believer in Yahweh God. And he had heard that the birthright belonged to Jacob, this birthright of faith, that Jacob was really the head of the, of the, the people of faith. And so he allowed himself to be blessed by Jacob. And uh, uh, so... So he recognizes, he sees Jacob come in, and he recognizes this is a man who has walked with God for a very long time. Now, what an opportunity Jacob has here to be a witness of Jehovah God. Pharaoh has allowed himself to be blessed by, by Jacob, and, and Pharaoh then in verse number 8, if you look at it, he asks him, how old are you? I mean, how long have you been walking with God? Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? Now listen to what Jacob says. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days and years of my pilgrimage, he saw his life as a pilgrimage, are 130 years. Wonderful years. Blessed years. Great years. Long years. No, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. I mean, Isaac had lived to be 180. Uh, Abraham had lived to be 175, and that's who Jacob was referring to when he was referring to his fathers. And he says, you know what? I haven't lived as long as my fathers. It doesn't look like I'm going to make it. Jacob was a pessimist. I mean, again, over and over again, we see this kind of pessimistic uh, attitude coming from 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 Jacob. I mean, Pharaoh asked him how old he is, and, and he says, I'm 130 years old. And then he has to add these negative comments. He says, you know, my years are few and evil. I'm not going to live as long as my dad and my granddad did. And he didn't live as long, but he lived a long time. A few years? I mean, 100, I'd love to live to be, no, I really wouldn't. I'm not going to say that. But, hey, I, 130 years, that would be, that would be a long time. I was listening to a preacher yesterday preaching. Uh, I forget the guy's name now, but you can find him on one place. He, he's 94 years old, and the guy can preach. He's been preaching 77 years, 77 years. But, hey, 94, that's nothing if you live to be 130. Uh, 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 he's gonna, Jacob's going to live to be 147, so, so really few years? I mean, was that really the right thing to say? I think I understand where he was coming from, though. I don't care how long you live. I mean, if you went to Methuselah right before he died, he was over 900 years old, and you said, Methuselah, did you live a long life? I think he would have said, boy, it flew by just like that. Because just as James says, James says our lives are no more than a vapor. In, 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 in the uh, scope of eternity, that's all our lives are. I mean, life goes by so fast. I mean, when, when we've been, a, there are a million years and, and someone comes up to you and they ask you, man, how, how's time gone for you? Man, it's, those million years have flown by just like that. The good news is you got another million coming. And when that second million's over, you got another million coming after that. You got millions and millions and millions and it goes on forever and ever and ever. So that's the only place where our, where our days aren't few. But, 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 but he was right in one respect, but 
you know, I think he was wrong another because it was a pessimistic way of saying, you know, I'm not going to live very long, not as long as Abraham and Isaac did. But not only that, he has this comment. He says, my days are, he, he says, my days are evil. In other words, I, I've lived a hard and troubled life. That's the way I see my life, as a hard and troubled life. How many, don't raise your hand. How many of you, just answer this to yourself, see your life as a hard and troubled life? as an evil life. I mean, I, I, could, I could probably answer that for some of you because you can kind of tell the people that see life that way. You don't have to be around them. I think if you're around me sometimes, you'd wonder if I don't see my life as hadn't been hard and evil. I mean, there were some evil things that happened to Jacob, weren't there? A lot of evil things. Think about, go back. I mean, I mean his brother Esau threatened to kill him and chased him out of town. I mean, what, and where did he go? He ended up with old Uncle Laban who bested him out of Rachel, uh, out of, you know, his, the bride he thought he was going to get, and then used him as almost slave labor for 20, almost 20, uh, actually 20 years. And then Laban chased him, was going to kill him. Then he met Esau, and Esau was about to kill him. Then he went to Shechem, and they had that incident at Shechem. And then he moves on to Hebron, and his, his son, he thinks, is killed by wild beasts for 22 years. He grieves his son. I mean, that does sound... Like a hard life, doesn't it? But let's go back and, and think about the good years Jacob had. I mean, Jacob, number one, Jacob knew God. And he had encountered God in a theophany in the presence of Jesus Christ on several occasions. I mean, his mama had raised him up and spoiled him rotten. He had a lot of good years under Rebecca, I mean, lots of good years. He loved Rachel. I think he loved Leah, too. So he had, he had a good marriage. He got to see all of his sons and his daughters born and all of these grandkids. I mean, he was a wealthy man. He lived in Hebron and, and, and had all of these goods. He was probably one of the wealthiest men, maybe the wealthiest man in Canaan. Because he had inherited all the riches of Abraham and Isaac and his own riches that he, that he got. And so, so, I mean, he, he had some really, really good days. He had been reunited with his son Joseph, and, and uh, uh, now he was going to be with him for the rest of his life. It was a good year, but he didn't see it that way. He saw life through a bitter glass, through a bitter glass. You got a choice. You can see the glass half full, the glass half empty, and he saw it. Is half empty. And what a great opportunity he missed in the presence of Pharaoh that day to praise the Lord for the long life and the good life that he had had. Because all of those evil things that had happened to Jacob, what were they for? They were for Jacob's good. That's what they were for. And not only that, I mean, I would like to think if I was in that situation, not only would I tell Pharaoh about all the wonderful things God had done for me, I would tell him about all the wonderful things God is going to do for me in my future. Jacob is alive today because what God did for him. I mean, he should have been praising God for the life to come in the presence of Pharaoh, but he didn't. You know, with that said, I, you know, I get a little weary of Christians who give their testimony and they tell how everything is perfect in their lives and life is nothing but a bowl of cherries and, and they don't have any problems and, and uh, hey, they're lying, I can tell you. Or they're living in a different world than I'm living in. Life is tough. There's no doubt it's tough. In this world, you will have tribulation. But even though we have great trouble, even that great trouble is for our good. And along with that great trouble that we experience in life, just like we're experiencing now through this COVID virus, along with that great trouble that we experience, there is so much good. And instead of murmuring and complaining against God, which I'm sometimes guilty of myself, we need to be always praising God. God. We need, I look at my family, my grandchildren, my children, my, my wife, not in that order, my wife first. I, I, I look at my church family. I look at 
all the ways God has blessed me, and I praise God. I praise God for his spirit. I praise God for his word. I praise God for his life that's in me. I praise God for his eternal life. I praise God for the great hope he gives me for the future. Man, I got a lot to praise God for. And God wants me walking through this world, not falsely praising him, but being honest in my praise. Yeah, life is tough, but life is good. It's really good. I'm so glad to be alive today. Now, you go back to the text now and pick up in verse number 10. So as Jacob's leaving the room, it says, Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out before Pharaoh. Just get this picture. Here's this great prophet and patriarch of God, and he's praying with the most powerful man on earth. What a scene that had to be. And, and he prays for him, and he goes out of the room, and Joseph then goes about the business of situating his father, verse number 11, and his brothers, and gave them a possession of the land in Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses. Now, Moses is writing this. I don't know that this Pharaoh's name was Ramesses. Ramesses means come forth from Ra. It means to come forth from Ra, which Ra is the sun god, the main god of Egypt. So, so the, the Pharaohs, sort of like these leaders in Korea, they claim to come forth from God. The Pharaohs claim to have come forth from God. And so this is a reference to the land of Pharaoh. This is Pharaoh's land. It's the best of his land. Uh, Moses was writing this, and the Pharaoh's name was, in Moses' day, Ramesses. So, so Moses just uses that title for, for Pharaoh's land. And as Pharaoh, as Pharaoh had commanded, then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and his father's, get turned here, his father's household with bread, according to the number of their families. And so he distributes the bread that's available for his family based upon the number of people in the family, which was, was, was totally fair. And so here's the picture now if you're looking at Israel. Israel's in the land of Goshen. They've got supplies, plenty of supplies available right away to eat. They don't have to wait to eat. They, they're going to be able to irrigate from the Nile River. They're going to be able to raise grain for their cattle. They're going to, they're going to, their, their herds are going to increase. And now they're in char- getting paid to take care of Pharaoh's herd. That's a pretty doggone good situation. And, 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 and now the picture turns. And we see what's happening to the rest of the people, to those people who didn't know the Lord. Let's, let's, let's look at what's happening to them. It says, now there was no bread in the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Everywhere but in Goshen, the, 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 the land languished because of the famine. And Joseph is in charge of all of this, and he gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt. I want you to listen to this process very carefully. Very carefully. It should ring some bells for you. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So he he gives them the grain at a fair price, but they have to spend their money in order to eat. Joseph isn't taking this money. He's putting this money into Pharaoh's treasury. Then in verse number 15, so when the money failed in the land of Egypt, at some point, the stimulus checks, the money they had in the bank, ran out. And when the money failed in the land of Canaan, I mean, in Egypt and in the land of Canaan, and in the, really in the rest of the known world at that time. We're, the Bible's concerned about Egypt and Canaan, but it's happening all over the world at this point, all over the, the civilized world at this point. It says, So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. So Joseph said, Okay. You want bread? Joseph says in verse number 16, then give me your livestock. Give your livestock, your livelihood, your livestock to Pharaoh, and I will give you bread for your livestock 
if the money is gone. And so they brought their livestock, verse number 17, to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, the herds, for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. So in that one year, all of the livestock suddenly belongs to Pharaoh. Who's in charge of all of the livestock? Who's making all the money, taking care of the livestock? The Israelites are being taken care of here. So, So they're the ones who's really making bank. Verse number 18, when that year had ended, they came to him, and all their livestock was gone, all their money was gone, and, and, and came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. Thy Lord also has our herds and our livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. And Joseph said immediately to them, Give me your lands. Turn your lands over to me if you want bread. And they did. Verse number 19. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die. In other words, let us be uh, tenant farmers at this point, for we just in servitude to you, for we serve you for a portion of the crops that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. So leave some of us on the land. And then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh by selling the food. For every man of the Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. So now not only does Pharaoh have all the money, all the livestock, and all the land, now he's going to have all of the people as they're going to sell themselves to Pharaoh as slaves. And as for the people, he moved them to the cities. Where did he move them to? Into government housing in the cities. And from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other. Now, I think in Joseph's mind, the reason to move them to the cities is so there won't be any problem with the distribution of the food. They will be close to those storehouses that he built in every city. We remember that from an earlier chapter. Uh, But uh, most of them moved to the city. Some of them left. A few of them left. Only the, uh, and and stayed on the land. But most of them are off the land and into the cities at this point. But watch this, verse number 22. Only the land of the priest he did not buy. Now, what kind of priests were these? Were these priests of Jehovah? Were these the Levites? No, these were the priests of the foreign gods. These were the false prophets. These were the false religious priests. He says, he said, uh, where did I leave off there? Only the land of the priest, verse 22, he did not buy, for the priest had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. And then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is the seed for you. Some of me left on the land, and this, he's speaking to them now. And he says, I will give you seed, and you shall sow the land uh, that is now Pharaoh's. And in doing so, you will be serving Pharaoh. And he gives them a pretty fair deal here. Look at verse number uh, 24. He says, And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. He could have made it the other way around. He could have said you keep uh, one-fifth and you give Pharaoh four-fifths, but he says you give Pharaoh one-fifth and four-fifths shall be your own. So it's a pretty fair deal. As seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households and food for your little ones. And so... uh, Now, you look at where these people are at. They really lost just about everything to the government. And uh, uh, so, but look at how they respond here in verse number 25. So they said, you have saved our life. 
I don't know if I would have responded that way. I think I would have responded with, you have taken away my life. I mean, it's, it's a really good thing that Joseph was such a merciful leader and he wasn't as hard-nosed as some of those leaders of that culture. Or he would have taken everything. He would have given them the four-fifths. He would have only given them the fifth. But, but, but he still took a lot. He took away their property. He took away their herds. He took away their money. I mean, they were paupers at this point. Most of them were living in, in shanties in the city. And, and, and so they said, you have saved our lives. You hear that today at all? People praising the government for saving their lives? I mean, maybe you've done that, and I don't want to call you weak-minded, but to me, that's pretty weak-minded. To, to praise the government that took away everything for taking away everything. That's pretty weak-minded. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants forever. And so now they've become virtual slaves of the government. And here, here's the last verse we're looking at today. And Joseph made it law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth uh, except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. And all the people in Egypt said, we will glorify the government. We will give our liberty and our prosperity, and we will serve the government for our bread. Everyone said that but the government and the priest of the false religion. They didn't have to say that. The priest didn't have to say that because they've got rations. They didn't lose anything. They didn't have to sell their land and give their money and give their lives for the food. They were, that was really, they were really part of the government. And so they were okay. All the higher-ups in the government were okay. But for most people, everything they had, their freedom, their prosperity, their wealth, had been taken away from them during this famine. Does any of that sound familiar to you? I mean, well, it should. Because that's exactly what's happening in America today. We're not through the process yet. But the process has begun. And if God doesn't turn it around, it's going to end exactly the way it ended for the Egyptians. What's the process? I mean, it starts out with prosperity. I mean, Egypt had seven years of great prosperity. That number seven is God's completion. The number of years he wants to prosper a nation. He prospered them seven years. He gave them time to make bank. You think maybe he's given America time to make bank? We're the most prospered country that's ever existed on this earth. And God has prospered us beyond imagination. And we have just about anything. I mean, the poorest person in America is the richest person in, in, in many nations in the world. And, and everybody just about has done well. I, I don't want to hear the stuff that, you know, that you know, certain people haven't, haven't, haven't prospered. Everybody in America has prospered to some degree. I, I, I understand that some people have better opportunities because of the families that they're raised in and all of that kind of stuff, but, but we all have opportunity here. And we all have a chance to prosper, or at least we have up until now. But what have we done in the process? We've taken on kind of an Epicurean mentality. Let's eat, drink, let's just drink it up, eat it up, and be merry until it's all gone, but for tomorrow we shall die. And we've forgotten along the way to be grateful to God. And, and instead of serving God, we serve our pagan gods. Now, a lot of people say they serve God. But there's a big difference between saying you serve God and really serving God. A real big difference. And, and there's very few people who really serve God, who really live for God. And instead, we live for sex, and entertainment, 
And, and we made those things our God. And then all of a sudden comes this famine in the form of a COVID virus. And pretty scary stuff. We're in the early stages of this. I mean, we don't know how bad the virus is going to get, but if it didn't get any worse, what it's done to our economy, we've only seen ripples of the effect that's coming upon us soon because of this damage done to our economy. We've had some severe damage done to our economy. Then we've had these riots, and what most people are doing I'm not talking about you here. But what most people are doing at this point, they're not looking to the Lord for their help. They're looking to the government for their help. Send us more stimulus checks. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, and there probably will be more stimulus checks that, stimulus checks that come out. But let me tell you what a stimulus check does. It raises the debt and lowers the value of the dollar. At some point, it's going to crash this economy. At some point, it's going to make the dollars you've got in the bank, uh, I've got in the bank, all but worthless. And you're, you, people say, well, I'll get gold and I'll get silver. Well, who wants silver and gold when you can't eat? The Bible speaks of that. And so there very well might be coming a famine. And, and again, everybody, these churches should be filled and, and, and whether you've got to wear a mask or not, you should be here seeking God with everybody else. Lord, please help us in the, in the days that we're living in right now. And then I watched this process go on, and, and, and not only are we heading for a financial disaster where we're going to lose our wealth, we're giving, to me, the most sacred thing we've been given in America are our freedoms. And we're giving up our freedoms. As an American, I hate that. And we're submitting to this giant, godless government. That's what we're doing. And when this funny money runs out, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to pay your taxes on the property you own. And you're not going to be able to eat. And at some point, you very well might be living in governmental housing, taking what food the government will give you. And you know what? When that happens, there'll be, when people become virtual slaves to the government, and that's what the government wants to do right now, there'll be people who will give all glory and praise to the government for being so kind to them, for giving them food and football. If I get those two things, then I'll be all right. As long as we can have NFL football and I can have food and I can watch my Netflix and be at home or wherever that home is, hey, the government is good. The government has done its job. That's the road we're heading down right now. And it's going to destroy our way of life. Is this nation on a ventilator? The dream, American dream on a ventilator? You better believe it's on a ventilator. And I don't know if it's going to survive or not. If God doesn't step in and turn this thing around, it's not going to survive. You know, the question, when I look at this text, I've got to ask the question, why would Joseph really so cruel to these people? He didn't have to take their land. He could have just given them the food. He could have just, you know, fed them a little bit and, 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 and not taken their money and their land and their, their own self, soul. I mean, it's almost as if they sold their souls to the government. Why would he orchestrate such a scheme? Well, I'll tell you why, because he was a vessel in God's hand. And God was judging, I said this earlier, one of the, I mean, we see God orchestrating the move of the reunion of Joseph and Jacob and all these other things he did through this famine. But one of the things, God sent this famine, and the reason he sent this famine was to judge this godless, pagan, Egyptian empire. 
to judge them, not to get them to turn around. They weren't going to turn around, but to judge them. And he was just a tool in God's hands. And, and so when you get mad at the Republicans or you get mad at the Democrats for what they're doing or, or if Joe Biden gets elected or Trump stays in there, hey, don't get mad at them. God's the one who's put them there. God gives us the leaders we deserve. And it very well might be the judgment of God on this nation. And God, you know, really don't have to, he doesn't have to do anything. All he has to do is just stand back. Just stand back. Let this virus take its course. Let the cities burn. Let the terrorists hit. Let the Russians, whatever he wants to do, he, if he just sits back, believe me, if he, didn't, if he removes, totally removes his hand from this nation, we are toast. You think it's bad out there now, it's going to get worse. And I hope that God does use this situation for some sort of revival. He turns our nation around, and we can go back to a good, normal way of life. But I don't believe that's going to happen. I don't believe that's going to happen. Bad news. But let me give you the good news. Here's the good news. Some really good news. Some great news embedded in this text. While the Egyptians were enslaving themselves to their government, God was taking care of his own people. God took care of that little nation of Israel. They had the very best land in the Egyptian empire. They were sitting on the Nile. They had water when there was a drought, and they had plenty of grain because guess who had the keys to the storehouse? Their older brother, their younger brother, actually, whom they had tried to kill, but he loved them now, and they loved him, and they were in good shape. And not only that, they had job security. They got a promotion. I mean, can you imagine the whole economy of Egypt is falling apart and they get the best job on earth at that time. They get, they're put in charge of all of Pharaoh's herds. What they, they're doing what they love to do. And if some outsider had come up to Simeon or Judah or Issachar or Reuben or any of those brothers and said, how are you doing in the famine? I'm sure they would have said, what famine? We're not experiencing any famine here in Goshen. I mean, everything's going great right here in Goshen. Everything's wonderful. Things were good for them. Can God do that for us as a church? You better believe he can. The Bible says it like this. It says, the Lord is the Spirit. Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Lord is, there is liberty. God can set us free as individuals from all of this tyranny. He can set us aside, and he can protect us, and he can prosper us. And I believe he's going to do that. Because as we're told in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9, God knows how to deliver the elect from times of tribulation and save the unrighteous for, for judgment. He knows how to separate the two. He knows how to punish the unrighteous and bless the righteous at the same time. And I believe that's what he's going to do. And I believe that all of us, during this famine, I believe we can be promoted. I believe we can be prospered. I believe good things can happen to us. I certainly get it. In this world, you'll have tribulations, and there are going to be some hard times, and we're going to be affected by this in some way. But good things can happen to us if we have the Spirit of God. If we're not idolatrous, if, we're, if we turn from our idols and we seek God, good things, really good things can happen to us as Christian Americans. You can be blessed. Blessed to the point where you can say, what famine? What famine? Now, now what I mean by that, what kind of, I know I'm keeping you a little bit late here, but what I mean, what famine? I'm talking about where you could say, hey, I'm prospered even in the midst of all this calamity. God can prosper you. You want to put that slide up? You know, we, we don't do printed bulletins right now, and, and uh, this is, was on the bulletin cover. But 
but look at the look at the group there. Look at them. I mean, they're, you know what they're saying? What famine? What famine? They're being there's a famine behind them. Look behind them. You see behind them? There's a famine. There's people in a bread line behind them, and they're eating a nice food in a restaurant. Now that's the picture of Goshen, and that's the picture of Egypt. But here's what I want you to see. There's a, there's a point in that picture. Because God blesses us, he blesses us so we can bless others. Let me tell you what. God isn't going to bless us through this famine just so we can have prosperity and wealth. That's not what it's about. He's going to bless us so that we can turn around and see those people in those bread lines and that we can bless them. Don't take your heart off the Egyptians. Don't take your heart or your eyes off the people who are suffering because of this COVID virus. We're to put our eyes on those people. Yes, God's going to bless us. And yes, God's going to take care of us. But he's going to bless us and take care of us so we can bless and take care of others. Don't forget that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We've covered a lot of territory here, Lord, but we see such good news. We, we know that no matter what's going on in our world, whether it be wars or rumors of wars or famines or pestilence, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, we live in a troubled world, and, and those things are going to affect us, Lord, but you know how to take care of your own. And, Lord, we just thank you for that. We know that, that we have hope. Even in this difficult time, we have hope for this life. We have hope for the life to come. We are so blessed because of that. Lord, but you bless us. You bless us so that we can be strong and we can be blessings to others. And Lord, I just ask that you open our eyes to all those people around us now who are hurting, who don't know you. Lord, And that you give us the opportunity and you give us the words and you give us the power to reach those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to be raptured out of here, but we want to reach everybody who we possibly can until that happens. And Lord, so we're going to do what it takes as your ambassadors in this land. We thank you for the encouraging word you gave us today. We thank you through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.